Amen. And aren't we, aren't we all glad for that? Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that amazing truth that we are redeemed. That's not a process. That's a fact. <laughs> Lord, we stand here washed of all of our sin. We're not who we used to be. We are a new creation in you. Oh, Lord, we, so, we are so enamored by that truth, but Lord, we are also so excited about the fact that this ongoing process of our sanctification, where your desire is to continually grow us more and more into your image, to draw us closer and closer into your presence. Lord, our desire tonight is for that very, that very process to continue, that through your word and just fellowshipping with one another and your presence here among us, that we truly would be changed. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. A couple of real quick things. Uh, perhaps you saw when you came in the Operation Christmas Child banners and all of that going on. I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, that's going on continuing through this week and weekend and through Monday. They, uh, the, the volunteers out there, the ones heading it all up, asked me to put out again a, a request for any of you who might have some time this week and through the weekend and, and Monday that you might be able to volunteer to come out, especially guys with some strong backs to lift the heavier boxes up into the truck and that. So if, you, if that's you, if you have some time, uh, you can check on the website for the hours because they do vary during the days. Uh, there'll be a couple evenings and, and during the days for that. So if you can do that, that would be fantastic. So uh, we have a special guest with us this evening, a face that is probably familiar to a lot of you. Uh, Chris Ward is with us tonight. And if you would give him a warm welcome, we ha he has some great news to share with us about things going on with them. So, welcome Chris. Well, good evening. It's so good to see you guys. Wow. And it's cold outside. I, uh, I literally was out on the East Coast in South Carolina uh, on Sunday actually teaching at uh, Calvary Chapel of Charleston. And and, you know, it was, you know, on the coast, so it's warm, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, it's so great. And then I, we hit Dallas, and there was lightning and rain and sleet, and then we had to fly through Denver, and it was had a blizzard, and I said, oh, that's okay. I'm on my way to Phoenix. It's going to be so nice, and I step off the plane, and it's like 45 degrees outside. Ah, thanks, Arizona. appreciate that so much. Well, uh, what a blessing to be here this evening, and so glad that Pastor Brett gave me a call this morning and said, hey, why don't you come on out and, and share with our, our fellowship a little bit about what's happening with you and your family, and also um, share from God's Word today. And so if you want to turn to Luke chapter 14, that's where we're going to be, uh, taking a look at that. And... I'll, sh I'll share a little bit more about what we're doing and, and what's happening in, in my family and I's life uh, here in just a little bit. Uh, needless to say, if you follow social media at all, um, you'll probably have seen that I have, uh, as of October 4th, I stepped down as the pastor, senior pastor at Calvary Chapel in Maricopa, 
as my wife and my daughter and I prepare to go to England. So we are going to be full-time missionaries going across the pond, as they say, and excited and nervous about it. And of course, as soon as you make that announcement on social media, everybody's like, oh, what's going on? And what's, you know, how are things happening? And uh, I was always uh, intrigued by uh, the fact that no matter what you say, when you use social media, it just always seems to be entirely opposite sometimes about what's really happening. Ever, ever notice that? Where you, you think, oh, I'm going to post this picture and it, and it looks so great. And then everybody wonders, you know, what, what exactly is going on with this? And it's something bad happening. It's like, no, no, it's just a picture. It's a, it's a dog with an ice cream cone, you know. You know what, uh, what, what's wrong with that? It's the end of the world, you know. Something's going on. But... I don't know how many of you are big social media users, but uh, how many of you guys have a Facebook account? I mean, okay, all right. Now, I'm going to start going. Twitter, who's got Twitter? Okay, now the numbers go down. Instagram, Instagram, Snapchat, Periscope, like two people, have yeah, young people especially, right? Uh, for some of you, that might be foreign territory, and it might be perhaps maybe your kids or your grandkids set you up an account, and you're like, I post a couple of things, mostly reading through all the posts of the kittens and the food, or, you know, the president's evil, Congress is evil, Democrats are evil, Republican. I mean, just name anything in politics these days is evil. It's an election cycle, so it's going to get worse. I just warn you. But who among you knows what a hashtag is? Okay, I a few of you. All right, hashtags essentially, for those of you going, I have not answered any of these questions <laughs> in the positive so far. Hashtag basically is a way to group together common posts or in the world of Instagram or some of the photo ones, pictures. So if you, if you remember on your phone, you had that little pound symbol, you know, press the pound key. That's a hashtag. That's a hash is obviously encoder that talk. That's what they use it. And a hashtag just basically means if you click on hashtag puppies, you'll see a whole bunch of pictures about puppies and, you know, whatever they have on that. And believe it or not, due to its widespread use, hashtag was actually added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2014. So yes, hashtag is now a legitimate English word, in case you guys were wondering. And of course, I've been accused of being really obnoxious with my hashtags, typically by my daughter who's with me. Um, I use them as almost sentences. You know, hashtag, that was the best pancake I've ever eaten in my life except for my wife's. That's all one hashtag. And people go, ah, that's not really what you're supposed to use that for. Because if anyone clicks on that, there's going to be two posts, yours and maybe somebody else that's silly like that. But you're going to hear people use them as part of language, especially among the younger generation. I'm sure you've heard some of them say, oh, the hashtag fail." or hashtag awesome, or, you know, they just put it in front of words now. It's actually part of our language. And I bring this up because as we're going to look in Luke 14, I can't help but imagine, as Jesus is invited for a Sabbath meal, that if social media was around in those days, what would the hashtags would have been like? 
in those days. You know, because as, as you get ready for Shabbat, the, the Sabbath on, on Saturday, you know, as sun, sun is setting on Friday and you're getting ready, we've seen all of the, the, you know, the Facebook and going crazy with hashtag Shabbat Shalom or hashtag get to synagogue, usually from the Jewish mothers out there telling all their kids, you know, get to synagogue, you know, be a good boy. And so you'd see all this happening, but when Jesus would come to town, you know that it would have gone crazy. Social media trends, hashtag Rabbi Jesus, hashtag, you know, in the synagogue today, you know, all these things would have come together. And the reason why is because people tended to group Jesus with either one of two things. If you're a religious person, leader, like a Pharisee or a lawyer, you thought, remember that whole thing about politics? The end of the world is coming. Here comes that ridiculous, radical rabbi named Jesus who's causing all these problems. Or if you were just an everyday person, it was exciting. Something new, something fresh was coming your way. And one huge topic when it came to Jesus was always healing on the Sabbath. We're going to see how this is going to kick off a conversation in Luke 14 with pretty much five groups of people that are involved. And when you invite Jesus to a Sunday dinner, things get pretty crazy really quick. You ever notice that? Anytime you invite Jesus into anything in your life, things get pretty crazy really quick. Like all of a sudden you're going to be going to England to be a missionary, in my case. So if you want to follow along, we're in Luke 14, starting in verse 1. Now it happened, as Jesus went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took the man and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up here. Go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Father, thank you for your word this evening. We ask and pray that it blesses us in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds. Help it to transform us from the inside out. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 
Well, I'm not sure how many of you grew up with the tradition of Sunday dinner, but I grew up in the Midwest, outside of Chicago. My mom's family is primarily from the Midwest part of, Southwest part of Ohio. And, you know, when you have church, typically what's the next thing after church on a Sunday? Meal, right? Dinner. And I would say even here in Arizona, of course, we usually don't go home and eat out as much. I've noticed most people go out to eat. But it's, it's just something that you do, right? It's, it's a place where you can gather together and enjoy uh, fellowship and food and, and talk about what you learned at church. No? You don't talk about what you learned at church? I'm being silly because I'm a pastor, so I do that kind of thing. But most recently, as a, as a pastor, uh, in my wife and I's life, we've, we pretty much go and we, we would go and either take a family out and try to get to know them a little bit, go have lunch with them. And then, of course, if, if we didn't have anybody together uh, to, to eat together with, we just probably hit a drive-thru, you know, a little Taco Bell never, never fails to make somebody happy, right? And so we would go, but we'd eat, and you have that time together. And Jesus, as we're going to see, is invited to dinner by a Pharisee. And I love how Jesus would still show up even though they wanted to trap Jesus. They, they even brought the bait. I mean, a man with dropsy, you have to understand something. This, is, this guy is really, really sick. And when, how many of you know what dropsy is? Anyone? We maybe have some nurses or doctors out there. It's not really common uh, today because they can pretty much, once they find it happening, they can, they can take care of it. But dropsy essentially is a condition where your organs are beginning to fail and, and you get, start getting liquid into between your organs and your, your cavities of your chest and, and your tissues and you start looking, think, stay puff marshmallow man, okay? So you've got this guy who's probably looking really bloated and just doesn't look good at all. And you have to ask yourself, which one of the Pharisees of Jesus' time do you think would honestly invite somebody like that to Sunday dinner? Not too many. And so Pharisee Bob, we'll call him, nice Jewish name, decides to invite Jesus to dinner, but he also invites this man to show up Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus knew and understood that he was going to be set up. It's not like Jesus didn't figure it out, especially as soon as he walks in and he sees this man, probably the only one that was sick and not looking too good, invited to this meal, and then there was Jesus. But Jesus still shows up, and that's what I love about Jesus. It doesn't matter who invites him, he shows up. It could be a Pharisee who's trying to trap him. He shows up. It could be a friend. He shows up. Even an IRS agent. Well, that's who Matthew was, right? Levi, the tax collector. And he says, hey, Jesus, come to a party. And by the way, I'm going to invite all my other IRS agents and some local prostitutes. And we're all going to get together. And Jesus should have said, like all the other Pharisees said, what? No way. All those sinners, I'm not going to go hang out with them, but he didn't. He came. That's what I love about Jesus. He always shows up. 
So this man here is very sick, probably terminally ill. But notice what it says here in four, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. It says that he was invited to the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, and they watched him closely. Now, this is literally where they want to catch Jesus doing something wrong. And they knew it was just a matter of time before Jesus broke the Sabbath rules because Jesus is consistently good at that, isn't he? You know, if you think about it, in Luke 4, 31, he casts out a demon inside the synagogue, by the way. That's kind of interesting. He healed a fever, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, also in Luke 4, on the Sabbath. He allows his disciples to pluck grain in Luke 6. He heals a lame man, John chapter 5. heals a man with a paralyzed hand in Luke 6. He delivered a crippled woman who was inflicted by a demon in Luke 13 and healed a man born blind in John 9. There should be a hashtag, Jesus heals. And that is important for us to see because I think today many of us wonder, does Jesus still heal? The answer is yes, he does. Now, many of you are probably dealing with issues, maybe chronic pain or cancer or some other disease, and you might be wondering, does Jesus still heal today? The answer is yes, he still does. But even in these days, did Jesus heal everybody in the entire nation of Israel? The answer is no. But we know that he loved them and he had compassion on them and he has compassion for you. And you can believe, I believe that if we would put this before him, that he will either do one of two things. Either you will be healed or he will give you that peace in your heart to know and understand what it is that he's trying to do in your life. As hard as that is. And that comes from somebody who does have a chronic condition. It's true. Jesus heals. But if you look at this, there is an interesting thing that happens. There is a different order than what I would do. Have you ever done that where, well, if I was Jesus, I would do things a little bit differently, which is kind of silly if you really think about it. But Jesus could have just healed the man and then asked the question, but instead he asks a question and then he heals the man. Do you see that? Look at this. It says in verse 2, Behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy, and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In other words, he's asking them a very simple question. Is it lawful, and I use my quotation marks here, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And see, he catches them. Even though there are Pharisees and lawyers here, it says, people who really do know the law, And what God has said, and here's the answer, Moses didn't really give a lot of instruction on healing. We know two things, primarily primarily leprosy and, unfortunately, ladies, the monthly issues. But other than that, the Bible is pretty, in, in this case, the law would have been very silent about healing in general. It was just something that God would do. So the problem wasn't breaking the Sabbath, it was the breaking the rules set in place by men. 
If you read some of the commentaries here by people who understood Jewish culture and, and obviously the teachings of the Mishnah and, and the rabbis of the day, that they had added all of these rules and extra laws. I'm sure Pastor Brett has shared many times when talking about the Pharisees and what they did and, and how they add burdens upon people. And one of them, just to give you an idea, one of the rules you couldn't do on the Sabbath was you couldn't spit on the Sabbath. Want to know why? Because when you spit, you create a furrow in the earth, and that's plowing. I didn't make it up, okay? But that was some of the silly things that they would, would do. It was just crazy. And so Jesus, though, you can just imagine him just shaking his head going, wow, what a bunch of jokers. Okay. And he heals the man. Now, we have to understand, this is not just he had a slight cough. This man is bloated and oozing and looking horrible. And all of a sudden, down to normal. And we know what he did. Jumped up from the table and ran out the door to show maybe his family, his friends, that he was healed. And then Jesus asks them another question. He says, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. It was real simple. Jesus, it it wasn't bad enough for these Pharisees that they got beat down by Jesus on healing, but then he lays the smackdown on the actual uh, motives of their meal. So he told the parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. So not only does Jesus get on the Pharisees, but think of all the guests that are there. All very important people. And he says to them, you know what? When you came in, you know what you did? You all made a rush for the closest seat to to the host and the guest. Because that's what he does. No, he says, when you're invited, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. It's kind of like going to a concert, your favorite band, and you notice that, hey, there's a couple of seats up front, and you make this mad rush, and you sit down, and you're like, this is great. Look at this. Best seats in the house. Awesome. And meanwhile, people are filing into the, to the theater or to the, the concert venue. And pretty soon, this place is packed out. And you're just like, oh, I'm glad I got these seats. And then you, all of a sudden, the tap on the shoulder. And there's this big, burly guy with an earpiece in his ear and a black shirt on like this, looking down at you and goes, excuse me, sir. But these are VIP seats. You need to get out of the seat. And there's somebody that he lets sit down. And then you turn around and you notice there is not one seat left, except for the one way in the back, up in the balcony. And the concert's about to start, and you have to walk all the way back up to the top. And when you get up there, you can't even see what's happening on the stage. Now, does that make you feel real good? Probably not. Shamed. Jesus in his days, was all about where you sat in the feasts. 
Number one, whose house were you invited to? This would have been a very important person's house, a Pharisee. It said he's one of the, the leaders, one of the rulers of the Pharisees. So he's a top guy, and you've been invited. And then whoever was the guest of honor would get to sit next to him. And everybody wanted to be close to them because that's where the most interesting conversation was. That's where you would be seen and people would think you're big stuff, big, hot to trot. You see, status symbol these days are more the car you drive, the house you own, the clothes you wear. And in those days, it was who was on the right and the left of the host. Which, by the way, gives us an idea of why the disciples got so riled up when James and John, remember the sons of thunder, get their mom to go to Jesus and ask if they can be on the right and the left of Jesus. Now you understand what, that's why Jesus goes, do you even understand what you're asking? And they're like, yes. Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Yes, we can. And he says, well, you are going to drink the cup, but who sits on my right and left? That's for my father to decide. And which, by the way, just a little something to think about is that it says that when Jesus died on the cross and then he was buried and he rose again, what does the Apostles' Creed says? He ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. So if this is God the Father and Jesus is on his right, the per, uh, place to the left is already occupied. Yes? So who gets to sit on Jesus' right? We don't know. But it will be a place of honor. And I'll tell you this much, when we get there, when we see it, we'll go, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Definitely wasn't going to be me. But yeah, I, I get that. I understand that. Because we will know as we are known. We will see him as he is. But you have to understand, it's always about how people tend to wear this invisible sign on their chest saying, make me feel important. I want to be somebody important. And most uh, leadership books will tell you, if you can make somebody feel important, hey, you're going to be really successful in sales, politics, customer service, all that thing, right? Making pe people feel important. But Jesus says, you know what? If you think you're something, you're going to be brought down low in the kingdom. In Proverbs 3.34, it says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Warren Wiersbe says it the best. God is not impressed by our status in society or in the church. He is not influenced by what people say or think about us because he sees the thoughts and motives of the heart. You might remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16 about how he is looking to replace Saul and, and God tells him, go to the family of Jesse and you're going to anoint one of his sons to be king and the first one he sees is his firstborn and he says, oh yeah, good looking guy. He's in the army, built, rugged looking, good looking guy and he's about ready to do it and what does the Lord say? Uh, uh, uh. No. Not that one. Oh, okay, well, who else do you have? And he goes through the sons until he finally gets to David. And they had to find David. You have to understand, David is the youngest. And if you've been the youngest or you have the youngest in your family, you know how sometimes all that works. But David's out in the field with sheep. Has anyone been hanging around sheep? Ever, ever do that? They don't smell too good. 
So you can imagine David has probably been out in the field. Who knows? Maybe this was the day that he rescued one of the lambs from the lion or the bear. So not only does he smell like sheep, he probably has bear drool all over him. He's probably got scratches on the side of his face or all over him. His clothes are probably torn. And he walks in and he's got this hair that's going that way. And he walks in and Samuel goes, this little guy? And the Lord says, you know what? You're looking at the outside. I look at what's on the inside. And that's truly what humility is about. And by the way, if you think you are humble, you're not. <laughs> ever think about that? So I forget the person who said it. If they ever give a prize for someone to be the most humble man or woman in the world, they could never accept it. Because as soon as they walk up to accept it, oh, sorry, you, you lose, you're down. And it's true. Humility is not, I think it was C.S. Lewis, not thinking less of yourselves, but thinking less of yourselves. In other words, it's not about you. It's about others. It's so hard for us to do that. You know, it's all about making it big in the world. We've got to be the best. Success at all costs. We've got to get your viral YouTube video up soon or no one's going to think you're anybody. I need my 15 minutes of fame. I need to be important. How many hits can you get on your social media account? How many friends do you have? I mean, I was totally stoked when I got like 50 likes on my Instagram picture once. I was like, yeah! And then it was like Levi Lusco, you know, 10,000 likes. And I'm like, oh man, i got a long way to go. But that's the thing. It's like, well, but is that what it's all about? Being somebody that's important? You know, if you look at history, people that were famous for a brief season, how many of those are now forgotten? Can you really honestly remember like the really famous people from 1974? If you were around then? Some people go, I wasn't around 74. But I mean, even that, I mean, history books. How many people actually make it into the history books? How many people actually are, quote, famous and they last? Not that many. That's because fame is fleeting, number one. And that's not what we are called to be. Only Jesus is the famous one. But the thing is, is we need to watch out for the humble brag. Anyone you know when that is? The humble brag? That's where you go downtown Phoenix, take a $10 bill to hand to the homeless guy and take a selfie. <laughs> Look at me, helping the homeless guy. Or, you know, when Reverend Billy Graham was talking to me on the phone the other day, he, uh, <laughs> what, he doesn't call you guys? You know, or, you know, this outreach has been successful and, and God bless you guys. And as I was on my knees Every day last week, fasting and praying, not sleeping. You see what I'm doing here, right? And there are people that do that. Why? It's that I want people to know how much I've put into this. And so when you're serving in the church, and by the way, this even goes for pastors. Put myself in there too. And I've done this, by the way, the humble brag thing. Is, is it more impor important for people to notice that you're serving? Or is it more important that you're serving? 
more important to be serving. And I get it. Trust me, I get it. You do. We're humans. We want people to notice. We want to feel appreciated. And by the way, it's okay to tell someone, hey, I, I noticed something that you did, and I appreciate that. But just remember, just like Jesus says, if you're doing stuff to be noticed and to feel so important, that's not the way to go. We need to serve one another and not worry so much about if people notice. I want people to like who I am and what I do, and I'm not the only one. We can all be that way. Psalm 75, verse 6 through 7 says, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. Back here in verse 12 it says, Then he said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus hits the Pharisee right between the eyes with this one. And quite frankly, hits me just as well. Because down in Maricopa, when I hitch up the wagon train to come north to Surprise or Scottsdale, you know, I might meet somebody for lunch if it's business or a friend, but yet there were times I've turned down someone in Maricopa merely because it would be an inconvenience for getting a nap in or finishing a book. Isn't that sad? But yet, isn't it true that we will move heaven and earth to go do something if it benefits us, but sometimes when it's dealing with people that maybe they, maybe they annoy you a little bit. Maybe they're not the most fun people to hang out with. And yet you won't do anything for them. What's the difference between that? Who's an honored guest in my life? The one who picks up the tab and says nice things to me or someone who just needs to hear more about Jesus and they can't pay their own electric bill? Unfortunately, I teach this stuff because I usually live it. That's always been the case. I don't know about you, Brett, but it's always the case. I, I live it, and then I have to teach it. And it's usually right when I'm opening up the Scripture, I'm like, all right, now it happened as he went to the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees, and I start reading through it. That's what I'm living that week. Or immediately after I'm finished teaching, that's when I'm going to be living it. And this was so true. When I, when I put this message together, it was just like, oh, man. That was painful, Lord. Honored guests should be all people. And by the way, don't get me wrong. Listen carefully. I'm not saying that you shouldn't hang out with people that can't influence your life in a positive way or maybe help you. I'm not saying that. Or friends or people you just like to hang out with. But what I am saying is that you will be repaid the moment they buy your lunch. Because kingdom investing is all about taking what God has blessed us with and giving it to people who can never, ever repay you. Never help you. Never do one single thing for you. Oh, I hate it when that happens. I want it to be 
where, hey, if I do this for somebody, I'm going to get something back. Don't you? It's okay to be honest. Oh, come on. Well, I will be teaching on lying here in just a second. <laughs> it's true. All right. We have an honest man in the back there. It's okay. I want you to understand something, though. It's not because we're necessarily bad people. It's because we are bad people. We're fallen people, right? But we're redeemed. That's why I love that last song that we sang. Love that last song. I was like, yeah, awesome. Because I am redeemed. And we need to live like it. Because if you do kingdom investment, look at what it says. You will be blessed if you invite all the great people, but you'll be blessed now because they can't repay you, these lame, the maimed, the blind, because you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Do you want to be paid today, or do you want to be paid on Bema Seat Day? I vote Bema Seat Day. Because I know that whatever Jesus is going to give me for what I have done in his name for him, is going to be so amazing and so epic, and it will last forever. That lunch I got that day lasted, what, four hours, digested, and then gave me indigestion. Which would you rather have? I'd much rather have what God has for me. I want to close with the story. Lewis and Clark's famous expedition to the Pacific Northwest in 1804 almost came to an untimely and deadly end. They were half starved and almost frozen when they staggered out of Idaho's Bitterroot Mountains and into the camp of the Nez Perce Indians. And if you watch Ken Burns and Dayton Duncan's story, The Lewis and Clark, The Journey of the Corps of Discovery, you, you might remember this story. You see, Lewis and Clark were the very first white men ever to reach their homeland. But the more prominent chiefs were out on a war party, and only one was left behind, a chief named Twisted Hair. And he had to decide what to do with the weak but wealthy strangers that had appeared in their midst. And according to the tribe's oral tradition, some of the Nez Perce proposed killing the white men and confiscating their boxes of manufactured goods and weapons. The expedition's rifles and ammunition in particular would be instantly making them the most powerful and richest tribe in the region. Because up until then, they didn't have any of that. But... An Indian woman came to the Corps of Discovery's aid. As a young girl, she had been captured by an enemy tribe on the plains who in turn had sold her to another tribe farther to the east. Eventually, she had been befriended and treated kindly by white people in Canada before escaping and making her way back to her own people. They called her Wat Kue returned from a faraway country. And for years, she had told them the stories about these fair-skinned white people who lived towards the rising sun. But when Lewis and Clark made their way into her camp, she was aged and dying. But when she learned about the possible plans to destroy the expedition, tribal tradition says that she intervened. She stood before them and said, These are the people who helped me. Do them no hurt. A stranger's simple act of kindness years before saved the lives of the entire expedition. A little kindness can go a long 
way. And that's what God has called us to do, is to invest in the kingdom, to invest in the future. One of the things that I have found is we, my family and I, prepare to go and be missionaries to the United Kingdom and to England, is that this is something that I would, if I was just living my life the way I wanted to and, and I was writing my story, this is not the way I would have it go. Because as much as we would think, oh, you're going to England, that should be pretty easy. You, we speak pretty much the same language. Yeah. There's some different words <laughs> that they use. But also, um, our culture, it's exactly the same. Eh, not really. It's different. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And I'm the kind of guy who likes comfortable. I like easy. I like, I know exactly what's going to be happening tomorrow, and I can look forward to it and put it on my calendar. Anyone else like me? And so when the Lord called me to step down as the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of Maricopa, a church that we planted uh, over 10 years ago, my first thought was like, okay, you're just kidding, right? <laughs> you mean we're going to go to England for short-term trips, you know, every once in a while, go do some things. And then God started doing things that were just crazy, like people I hadn't seen for a year and a half coming up to me. So when you're moving to England, what? Where'd that come from? A pastor friend of mine was woken up in the middle of the night by the Lord saying, do whatever you can to help Chris go to England. Things like that. And so what I do is I find myself now getting ready to step out into an adventure. And we would love it if you guys would pray for us. Because a couple of things that we're going to be doing. Many of you guys know Pastor Bob Claycamp. He's the pastor now at Calvary Chapel in Exeter. And he had said, hey, come and help us. I'll be helping him, coming alongside him at Calvary Chapel in Exeter, as well as Plymouth. They also have seven other Bible studies in villages all around Exeter that any one of them could become an actual Calvary Chapel, a church. But to do so, we need to raise up British leadership. Because don't get me wrong, I'm not coming to bring American Christianity to the UK. I'm going to bring Jesus and to train up British leadership. Because there was a recent poll done in the UK that they asked, what is your religious preference? In 2015, so this is this year, 49% said no religion. Half the country. For the first time, more than Christians or saying a Christian religion. That was only 42%. You've probably seen on the news everything that's happening in Western Europe with Islam. They had over 100,000 converts to Islam. 66% of them were women in, the last, in 2011. And that was 2011. Now, I don't say that because, you know, to make us fearful. I say this because the land that gave us modern-day missions, William Carey, Dr. David Livingston, J. Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon. I mean, those are names that are probably fairly familiar with you. That was the country. C.S. Lewis. Now is the land of Dawkins and humanism and Islam. 
And so we want to pour into leadership there. And so I'm going to be going to help start an online school of ministry to help raise up British pastors and, and elders and deacons within the churches to help them to go and share the gospel. Do what the church is supposed to do. And then the third thing that we're doing besides helping the pastor doing the online school of ministry is something called Creation Fest. It's a week-long Bible teaching music festival. And I've been privileged to help uh, head up what they call the stewarding group or kind of think security meets information guy. Um, and so we lead up a team of 40 individuals that help for this festival. And I actually have a video that I want to share with you that kind of shows a little bit about what Creation Fest is all about. Are we, are we good with that? She says, yes. So, there is so much I could tell you, and I would love to do so. I have a table out in the back there. I'll give you a, some prayer cards if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter. If uh, the Lord touches your heart and you'd like to support us financially, whatever you would like to do, uh, we definitely would love for you to um, pray for us because it's, uh, it's a mighty big trip that we're going to be making. And uh, my wife, uh, Debbie, and my daughter, Madison, and I uh, definitely love your guys' church. And we've, we've seen it from the beginning all the way through, have a, such a great relationship uh, with Brett and uh, the pastors here. And so uh, it'd be cool that we could be doing some kingdom investing uh, in our prayers and everything that we can do for the UK, because they need it uh, desperately. One of the men uh, there, an older gentleman, says, I remember when my country used to love the Lord. And he says, we've lost it. 
And I felt bad because as he turned to me, he says, and I see your country going the same way we are. And I was like, yeah, more than you know. So we need to pray for them, support them, but also pray for our country too. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us abundantly, far above anything that we can hope and imagine with the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, we know that we are called to do kingdom investment, both in the people that are around us, the people in our region, our state, our country, but also globally. Lord, I just thank you for this church. I just love what, what they're doing as they reach out and help in places around the world as well as in New Jersey with the latest project that they're undertaking. What an amazing thing. And so, Lord, we just pray that you continue to bless this fellowship. I thank you for each one of the people here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Madison, would you come up? Please, please, we want to pray for you guys. I won't ask you to say anything. Maybe sing, but... Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't tell you I was going to do that, did I? Would you, would you stand? And let, I'd like you, if you would, just extend a hand up here, and let's, let's pray for them as they get ready to go off on this journey. So, Lord, we just thank you for who you are and the very personal nature and how you call and use us and lord i i pray and we do pray together as a fellowship for chris and debbie and madison lord that you would fill them to overflowing with your spirit that you would guide and direct them in this amazing journey that you've called them on uh, lord and talking with chris and hearing about this uh, lord this is exciting because of the unknown nature of what it is that you're going to do and uh, Lord, so we, we come alongside them. Lord, I pray that, uh, that they would be on our hearts regularly. Uh, Lord, that you would just use them in mighty ways. Lord, we pray for all of the details that still need to get taken care of before they go. And uh, Lord, I pray that they're just able to hit the ground running when they get there. And again, Lord, bless them and use them in mighty ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. If you would, on the way out, too, please, they have a table set up. It's just some information about the ministry they're going to be, so stop by and say hi. God bless you guys.